And I like the very simple definition of humane is that which helps us be as we wish we were. Right, so as humans, we are a certain way. And humane is that which helps us become as we would like to be. I'm Bruce Figger, a veterinarian living in Sylvia, Kansas, and you're listening to the Vance Crow Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today, I sit down with Velf von Oren. Velf is an app creator that has tapped into something that I think is very important. He noticed that so many of the habits that he wanted to develop, so many of the things that he knew would help his life progress were hijacked by all of the apps trying to grab your attention, whether it's social media or other things going on in your phone. And so he developed a technology that would allow you and help you to make better habits, to make better use of your time. Velf was suggested to me by Jim Rutt, who longtime listeners of the podcast know. If Jim suggests somebody, I am very interested because he knows so many crazy characters. Jim is invested into Velf, and so he wants to see the potential app succeed. And so I was curious. I sat down with Velf, and what you will see is he knows a tremendous amount about how apps are designed to grab your attention in ways that are subtle and you might not notice otherwise. He also talks all about transcendence, and we even get into some debates about what is the future of social media and what happens if we don't find a way to get past its addictive properties. So we're going to head to that interview in just a moment, but... The Vance Crow podcast has some big news I wanted to celebrate with you. Ben Anderson, my executive producer, and I have realized that these legacy interviews that we've been doing where we interview people's loved ones, their parents, their grandparents, to, to capture their family stories, their histories, the things that they want to be passed down for future generations, well, this work has exploded so much so that we are building out a studio. So we've been working with architects and signing leases and getting all of the equipment ready. And we are going to really expand the in-person legacy interviews. But there is a space of time between when you have these things planned and when they are actually built. And so Ben and I want to fill that time by doing some of these online legacy interviews with people all over the country. So if you've been thinking that it might be a nice time for us to interview you or your parents or your grandparents, this is a great time to get in on it because we've got so many slots and we're going to try and fill them all up between now and when we get into the studio, probably early May. So if you're interested, go to store.articulate.ventures to buy an online interview that we'll do over Zoom. These are a great way to interact with your parents. Oftentimes we get to sit in their kitchen or their living room and it'll be a little piece of home that's added into the overall interview. Now, because we're trying to fill up these slots, we've decided to create a discount. So if you use the promo code VANCE, V-A-N-C-E, uh, you'll get 20% off of the interview um, until we've sold out all the slots before our spot opens up. So know that you can go to store.articulate.ventures to buy that and act now because we um, are going to be busy doing in-person ones in the future. And now, without further ado, I'm going to head over to the Velf uh, conversation. And uh, if you're wondering, why do I have a stocking cap on? It is because a blizzard hit the city of St. Louis. And not only have I had shoveling all morning to do, but I have a little 16-month-old Violet 
who now loves sledding so much that she bangs on the door until it's time to go outside. So I've got some responsibilities. I hope you are out enjoying time with your family or uh, getting some work done and really enjoy and embrace this fantastic conversation with Velf von Orn. Welf von Horn, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Vance. So you were recommended to me by uh, one of my favorite people in the world, Jim Rutt, who said, hey, Vance, I've been mentoring this guy. I've been trying to help him get his app off the ground because he thinks it's going to be rather groundbreaking. And so I thought, yeah, of course, I'll have uh, Welf on. So tell me a little bit about your app and what are you doing working with Jim Rutt? Yeah, so the app is called Potential. And... The mission is to make technology that helps you make better choices, that helps you be more intentional, that helps you sort of live the life that you want to live without being distracted by technology. And we think there's a lot of opportunity for technology to um, actually be in service of, you know, our values, of our aspirations, of our goals, and to help us on a day-to-day basis um, choose the things that are actually meaningful and important to us instead of doing what the attention economy is doing, which is basically optimizing for addiction, cheap dopamine, and limbic hijack, which uh, doesn't need anywhere desirable. So that's in the big picture what Potential is trying to achieve. Um, the app as it is today, we, we launched like almost a month ago, and um, it is a mix of a daily planner and a habit tracker, uh, and it is supercharged with integrations. And what that means is, you can set your intentions. That's what it's centered around. And then you can connect your intentions with the apps and links and the things that you want to do. And then that becomes a fundamental part of your digital choice architecture. So that when you unlock your phone, let's say in the morning, you see exactly the kind of choices that you want to choose from in the morning. And so in, in a way, it's, it's um, giving people back the power to make their own menus that they can then choose from. So um, maybe I want to exercise in the morning. So let me put my th- let me put three different choices uh, on that menu. And then in the morning, I'm like, okay, maybe I don't actually feel like lifting weights, but sure, I can do 50 push-ups. Um, and so that's that's what the app is, is trying to do or is, is doing today. And going forward, there will be a lot more integrations. There will be uh, things like social accountability and our early customers are loving it. Um, you know, it's interesting. In this podcast, we talk a lot about the voice of resistance. So that's the description mm-hmm. of in your brain, you want it, you have all these good intentions. I want to exercise. I want to eat right. But eventually there's a voice that pops up that's like, hey, didn't you run pretty hard yesterday? Or, hey, you know, you want to make sure you eat, but you shouldn't be a punishment. And so it starts crowding in on the decisions that you want to make. It sounds like you are creating technology to have a better relationship with that voice. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. And for some people, you know, that voice is, 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 is a friendly sort of annoyance. Maybe sometimes, maybe it's actually completely aligned with what they want to do. And for others, it's just screaming at them, right? And um, for me, it's for sure, I guess, louder than for the average person. And so um, just like we write the books that we need to read ourselves, right? We, we also uh, build the technology that, that we, to use yeah that's um, interesting like so tell me a little bit about your voice of resistance <laughs> like what goes on in your head when you try and take on a habit and why why go to these great links mm. to build this technology 
Yeah, I think in general, I'm, I'm quite, my personality is quite high on, you know, creativity and openness. So that makes me really excited about a new, you know, a new practice, let's say a new morning routine. Um, and then three days in, I'm like, ah, you know, it's kind of boring. <laughs> um, and so, and, and honestly, there's, there's so many, so many different things that can get in the way, right? There's, there could be um, just forgetting about it, it not being obvious enough, uh, it feeling kind of too hard, or maybe, maybe, you know, sleep in, and then actually the time that you intended for this is gone, and now you're in the middle of catching up with the rest of your day. Um, or you're doing quite well, and you're focused as you're working, but then you run into some resistance, right? You, I think that that actually, both in getting things done and also just in writing, is something that I observed is if I'm, if I'm able to have conversation with myself as I'm writing, it makes things a lot easier because I can be like, oh, wait, I actually don't feel confident about what I'm, what I'm writing here. What, what, where am I going wrong, right? And, and I can address it and, and that helps you kind of keep staying the flow. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, yeah, I think there's like the, the concept of, of uh, the, the concept of journaling is one of those things that, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you kind of hear about journals or diaries and kind of seems like something girls do, but mm -hmm. it isn't until you get older that you realize most of what's going on in your head are not thoughts. You're not thinking, mm -hmm. you're feeling things. You have these emotions and they, they could almost be as raw or as incomplete as just feeling colors, right? Like it's just, there's something there and you believe because it's the only conversation going on in your mind is the, mm -hmm. is the one that's kind of always there, those voices that you understand it. But it isn't until you go to write it down where you're like, wait a second, that emotion that I'm feeling is completely disconnected from other things that are important to me. So like, you know, I could have something coming up on the calendar that I'm like, oh, this is dumb. I don't want to do this. I, I want to cancel right now. But if you actually sat down and wrote out what was going on in your brain, it really has to do with the fact that you have something else coloring so many of your emotions that then you're reflecting on it forward. And that changes your behaviors, even though the emotion and the behavior are, are completely separate. Yeah, totally. I actually, about uh, two years ago, before I started Potential, I was um, designing and giving uh, digital well-being workshops. And emotional intelligence was one of the really big topics because it's like, well, if we, if we hijack ourselves, right, if, if we have internal triggers that lead us um, to, to avoid what we're feeling, then we need, to, we, we need to address that, right? We need to understand what's going on there. Um, and actually, if we look at our emotions, then we, we find out, oh, there's actually things that they point to that are valuable, right? There are needs that are maybe not met, or there's um, things that are really meaningful to us that we're not living up to, maybe. Um, so yeah, totally. There seemed to be something, you know, right now, I think that we're watching a cultural um, kickback on the idea of hustle culture. So for a while, mm -hmm. there was like Gary Vaynerchuk and every, every like... Um, uh, Instagram video was about working harder, going more, doing more with your time, never sleeping, never resting. And we've watched, you know, that kind of burnout. And now a new swing has come in that hustle culture is a mistake. And, you know, you should be more intentional. But there seemed to be something quite different about what you were doing than just avoiding hustle culture. Like the, the intentionality that mm -hmm. you're bringing to things seems a little bit different. What motivates you, like in, in this situation, to to find a, 
a wave to ride that's not just this kind of cultural, you know, where's mm. the culture headed? Mm. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting question. I think intentionality is um the way I think about it is much broader than you know any specific mimetic tribe uh, than, for example, hustle culture. And so it's like if I, I think it's it's central to what it means to be human, right? And if, if we think about especially our higher nature and our higher potential um, and what it means to you know self-actualize and, and transcend and be in service of something greater than ourselves, which just happens to be the place, just like flow, where uh, basically, we feel the best and where we are actually most in service of um, the world at large and, and society. And so that's where it feels like there's a connection between being intentional today in what I choose to do and living an examined life. Kind of like time well spent leads to a life well lived, right? And if I can just act on the, on the best intentions that I come up with today, and I can do that tomorrow and I can do that throughout the years, then I think that's, that's deeply transformative. And I think it's, it's, it's almost like a Trojan horse that you can bring into our culture where there's not just hustle culture, right? There's also a lot of indulgence. There's, there's shitty values of fame and material pleasure and uh, or fame, pleasure, and, and sort of material uh, possessions. And if you just bring in intentionality as like do the best that you feel like you want to do that the best that you know is right to do for yourself um and if you just keep doing that throughout time there will be more clarity right and so i think that's something that applies to to many many humans uh and I think yeah, throughout time, yeah. right? I mean, like, there's a reason that uh, I was just reading and talking with a friend the other day about the fact that the school of stoicism, hedonism, and skepticism kind of all existed in the same orbit. So for people that don't know, skepticism would be you're challenging everything around you. You don't assume that anything is true. You question everything. And I think for a lot of people that says, well, we can break down the walls of, of the old way of living. And, and there's a lot of value in that because it, it allows you to uh, create something new. But at the end of the, of, the, of the day, if you're skeptical of everything, there's no floor. And then hedonism being pleasure is the only thing that we have. There is no afterlife. There is no. So um, we should be embracing these concepts of pleasure, whether it's through um, really caring about the food that you eat or um, being intense about your day to day activities. I think hedonism often gets a bad rap that it's just people living um, vice filled lives. When when you really go mm -hmm. and actually study what hedonism is about, it's really mm -hmm. more about deeply appreciating the present moment for what that that is worth because there is nothing other than the present moment and then stoicism being some balance of saying your initial drives are not the things that you necessarily will guide you to the life that you want to live and that uh the the life that you want to live has to be more well considered so to me it sounds like you are talking about um out of those three schools some blend between hedonism and stoicism yeah, for sure. Um, and, and you can see, right, the, the examples that you gave is the, like you can be intentional about how you practice your hedonism, right? And probably having some stoicism in the, in the, in the equation, you can uh, then pay more attention to what actually feels good, what is actually in, you know, aligned with uh, a phrase that I like to use is 
like, does this feel good on all levels of my being, right? Can I integrate what I value, what is sacred to me, uh, what gives me joy? Uh, what, can, I value, can, can, you hold, can I hold all these things uh, throughout time and throughout space, right? Can I uh, look at all of these things and then make a choice that is not violating any of them? Right, that is actually serving sort of the highest possible synthesis of all of them. Um, and I think, that's, I think that's possible to some degree, or it's, at least it's possible to become better at that synthesis um, and to actually condition our bodies to use you know, all, of this, all of these emotions to guide us to the things that are, that are incredibly beneficial to us and, and to the people around us. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like that phrasing of the mix of hedonism and stoicism. You know, you uh, mentioned the flow state earlier on. And for anybody that doesn't know what the flow state is, what is it for you? What, how do you describe it? And where do you find that flow state? Yeah, I think the, the, the simplest, most catchy description or definition that I heard was when you feel your best and you do your best work. Um, but I guess it's, it's actually a bit, it, it's a bit broader. It's, I think, saying whenever you feel best is fair. So whenever you're fully immersed in some creative task, like uh, you're, you're writing a blog post uh, and you've, or you're writing an essay and you're like really, it's an expression of something deeper. It's, it's, just, it's just flowing out of you. Uh, or when you're hiking, when you're running, um, when you're in, in big nature, right? Uh, when you're listening to music maybe and you're, you're relaxing, you're sort of just gliding through presence. Actually for me, uh, driving, is, is a big source of, of, of flow states, right? Driving with, with classical music or something is. Uh, so I think it's, it's the sweet spot where, where uh, you're challenged enough that, it's, that you're engaged, but it's not too challenging so that you're not overwhelmed. Um, yeah, I think like when you're talking about the being engaged, the, the term I've heard for it is the zone of proximal development. So you're right yeah. at that area where where you're good at something so because you've done enough to be capable in this skill but that whatever is required of your attention is just a little bit beyond your reach and i'm the father of a of a 16 month old child and one mm -hmm. of the things that i've discovered is little children if not put in front of television or, or given all sorts of toys that distract them are almost always seeking that zone of proximal development, right? They always mm. want to be listening for what are the words I'm not understanding? How can I stretch and climb up on this object mm. that's like just a little bit beyond what my balance is? And then you hit a, I think eventually as you get older and older, the zone of proximal development for most of the things around you are, you know, never pushes you to get out of your comfort zone. And so it's like this challenge, particularly as we live in a society where things become easier and easier and easier because of technology that we don't find the flow state, which keeps our full attention. And instead we have to do what you described, go looking for dopamine hits um, because you know, we, we don't have anything in our lives that require enough effort that, that actually grabs the full human potential of your attention. Yeah, there's, there's so many interesting threats in what you just said. Uh, I think one of them is conditioning, right? And how, if, if, if we wouldn't break children systematically in our school systems, um, then we would have a lot less need for uh, numbing ourselves with uh, dopamine and distraction of all sorts. Um, and 
then also at the same time, uh, what you said with, with, with challenge, it's like all the things worthwhile today, or most, many things for many people. Um, and that's sort of this huge change that the internet brought about that we, I don't, I don't think we fully appreciate it as a culture, which is like your life path is for you to make, right? And there's so many directions that you could take it in. And, and it's not anymore that you, you know, you go to school and you go get a degree and then you go get a good job. It's like, sure, you can do that, but that's not where the most interesting, uh, I think, opportunities for, for development and, and, and contribution are to be found, right? And so, well, then that means it's on you to do it while you're, you know, still in the system, while you're maybe studying, while you're maybe working in your job. But it's not like there's, um, there's a boss telling you, hey, if you don't start your blog, if you don't start your business, if you don't start writing that book um, by that day, then, you know, something happens. So it's like all the good stuff in life has, needs to have some sort of proactivity without external uh, pressure to make it happen. And so like the internet has so many interesting things to learn and so many interesting things to offer and so many opportunities for creative expression. Um, but we need to pro like, we need to seek them. Right. And so, yeah, I think that's kind of the, the interesting, you made me realize like there, that's kind of the, the difference between a boss and a mentor is a boss tells you, hey, we know what is in your zone of, of capabilities and we want you, we're paying you to deliver on that. And sometimes they're pushing you to get outside of your comfort zone. But a mentor is basically the person that prompts you to, um, to stretch and to do things that, that you feel are outside of your zone of, of, of capabilities because by doing that, like they, they watched you achieve your full potential and they, they're gratified by this, but then you're, you also have a guide, right? You have a light or a, or a force that's pulling or pushing you um, forward in a way that most boss-employee relationships just aren't. Yeah. Um, kind of like a coach, right? Uh, that tells you at the right time, like, hey, uh, pay attention to this or dribble a, li dribble a little bit harder um, or stretch a bit more. Um, yeah. I've always thought that people that are in the world uh, that you're in, which I think would, in, you know, which would include like helping other people discover their motivation and kind of live on it, puts you in a, in a tough position because if you're going to be teaching people or developing technology for motivation and, and inspiration, you yourself must be uh, an example in that way. Do you feel pressure now that you're, you're doing a potential app to, to live to your full potential? Um, yeah, I mean, you can't really, um, it's, it's funny that you say that because we started this week, we started putting out content on uh, Instagram and TikTok, um, to, to sort of test the waters, which is, you know, highly, highly ironic and, and, um, cringeworthy in some way, but it's, um, you mean in the fact that you're reaching people through social media when what your app is largely designed to do is to help them get away from the, the sick, the dopamine that you get from social media. Yeah. It's, it's okay. highly con like, uh, we, we get it right. It's like, we're very aware of the fact that this is somehow weird, but at the same time, it's, it's, uh, like that's where the attention is. And, and we need to figure out how to become a media company that spreads, the message that educates people on what does it mean to be to live intentionally and so um yeah and especially like if you're 
also designing technology. And if you're thinking about how to advance that, that relationship, it's like, where, what, like, how should I live, right? And how should technology serve me in this? It's really, it's a really interesting problem to work on. And um, I do feel, I wouldn't say pressured. I think there's, there's some freedom in, um, especially for someone like me, who's like struggling to do certain things. I think there is some freedom in just a system that holds you accountable. And so um, I know that I'm going to be able to, I, I trust that I'm going to be able to figure out, you know, what is asked of me at any moment in time. And that the people around me and the people that are, that are paying attention are going to hold me accountable and that are going to push me, right? Um, and I think it's, once you realize that you can, you know, design your life, however you, you like to. And, and, and for me, that's sort of like that realization came first and then it's like, oh yeah, right. And then you gotta live up to it, right? And that's where the intention action gap comes in and where it becomes a bit challenging. But um, it's really an opportunity to be deeply intentional, right? And, and to really ask yourself, okay, like what, what is the good thing for me to do here? What, is, what are all the good things for me to do here? And, and how do I prioritize them? And how do I relate to them? Um, and who do we need to become? in this moment of time. So what have you learned in this work that uh, about the way our technology distracts us? What do you know about distraction that other people don't know because they're living in it? Um, I know that it works on you even if you know how it works. Um, I think <laughs> um, so, so that's interesting. Um, Say more about that. What do you mean? Well, it's it's it, it's like the the systems that through which it works, like your limbic system is not where where your rational knowledge of how, of of oh it's it's catching me right now. It's it's not the level on which um, your rationality can can step in and be like oh no I know how this works I'm not going to do this. Um, it is, I think, helpful in some way to catch yourself, but then that self-awareness can also be painful because you're like, I know exactly what I'm doing here and I still get distracted and, I, and it's sort of painful as you're doing it. Um, I think most people don't appreciate how systematic the manipulation through these attention products is. Um, and Let's it's talk also, about that. Open that wide up. What, what do you mean yeah. by this? Like these are things that if you're if you're just using the technology, you don't you don't think about it at all. You wake up, you look at your phone for information it feels like you need. You uh, you know start your day and you access it every time your brain says time to access it. But what else is going on? Yeah, I mean it's it's it's, it's kind of like um, you were living in Las Vegas without knowing that you're living in Las Vegas. Um, and without knowing that, that, that the people the, the people that design the city that you live in and the places that you go to every single day, they don't care about your well-being. They want your cash. And cash in this, in this case means attention, right? And so just as the people that built the casinos in Las Vegas hired you know, the smartest people that they could find, psychologists and, and neuroscientists and, and behavioral psychologists and, and so on, to figure out how do we make this as addictive as possible. The same thing is true here. And the difference is it's, it's at a much, much greater scale. It's at a much, much 
deeper level of intimacy in how we relate to this stuff. It's in, in general, just the asymmetry between what you know and what your agency is within the product within as you're scrolling Facebook and the agency on the side of Facebook. It's just, it's, it's, it's not the, it's, it's not a fair game, right? It, it's completely uneven. And because you're not in, in the terms of like, let's just say Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, it's you and your attention and the way you allocate it and your voice of resistance and all of your tendencies versus hundreds, if not thousands of psychologists and people that are well read in things like propaganda and attention and um, habits and all of these things and all of those people working together and not not just like focused on you, but using millions of people as test subjects that they can say, ah, look, we, we, we move that attention by two seconds. We got them to increase it just by changing this slight thing. And those two seconds of attention aggregated over millions or billions of people ends up being a lot of time. And then you just keep doing that over and over and over again. Yeah. And, and the, the fascinating thing is th there's something about A-B testing for ex extracting attention that just gets you further and further down to like the worst parts of our nature, right? And so if you, if you start uh, putting up a website and you, you start out with just like, you know, maybe uh, it's, the one has text, the other one has pictures. It's like, oh yeah, people are, go for, like people spend, are gonna spend more time when there's pictures. Um, then there's uh, one with pictures and one with videos and people are gonna spend more time uh, on videos, right? And so, and the smoother you can make the experience and, and, and the more you can trigger uh, psychological you know, processes that people are un unaware of, the more you can, uh, you can catch them. And if you do that across time and across hundreds of millions of people, and if you cross compare, or if you have algorithms that cross compare what you clicked on and what gets your attention with you know, what 10,000 people like you, clicked on um it just gets you deeper and deeper into that rabbit hole and um then of course there's all sorts of interesting opportunities to uh, sprinkle some social validation on top and to not just get you addicted to paying attention but get you addicted to the attention of others so that you actually become part of the system optimizing for how do i extract the most attention from the people that are following me Right, and that's just where the system becomes completely psychopathic and fucked. Uh, and I think the the scale at which it's it's happening, and and the 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 the, the deliberate manipulation that's happening there, I think will might like I think there's a fair chance that future generations will look back on that as basically crimes against humanity. Because if you think about uh, how to how to debase human agency and dignity and freedom at a global scale. It's basically the best scheme that I, that I think anyone could be able to come up with. Um, yeah, and I think like as you're describing this, I think of um, if alcohol just hadn't been invented, we just hadn't mm -hmm. figured out how to do it. And suddenly we like figured out how to put this in there and it was just like in society um, or we had a choice whether or not we allow it into society. We would say like, no right like why would we do this look at all the people that you know uh, murder people while they're drunk or you know abuse people or destroy their livers and their lives and their potential um but because it's always been there 
Um, mm. It's you know since the dawn of time, uh, we don't we don't really have a, a mechanism in our society for saying like no, that's not a good thing. But social media crept up on us in that same way, right? It was I can remember when Twitter was just your cell phone uh, essentially aggregating um, text messages, right? And you know you were just putting it into the system, and no one ever imagined that eventually you'd get to a situation where I can be looking on my um, high resolution screen on my little box and all it would take would be for me to flick my thumb to have an entirely new video with all the images that are designed for me. Maybe it's fighting, maybe it's a beautiful woman, maybe it's uh, you know people disagreeing with one another or some kind of engineering schematic and that I could get an unlimited amount of entertainment at the literal flick of my thumb, not even the press of a button, just just the slight change of the pressure of my thumb on the screen. Yeah, I think the I think alcohol is a great uh, analogy. I think maybe an even better one is sugar. Uh, if you think about, you know, you have 24 hours of your day and you have, let's say, uh, 2000 calories that you eat every day. Um, do we think that replacing, let's say, fifth, like, do, do we think that giving young kids 50% of their diet, 50% of their daily um, calories, not in, you know, nutrients and, and vegetables and, and proteins, but instead giving it to them in, in the form of the purest sugar we can find. Do we think that's a good idea? No, obviously not. And obviously a generation from now, we're going to have a generation of diabetics, uh, diabetics that are going to be dying of that sickness. And I think it's a pretty good analogy to translate that. You know, if, 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 if we're going to spend 50% of our waking time, or if, if we have a generation of teenagers spending 50% of their waking time online in these sugar equivalent uh, systems, instead of spending it, you know, in the real world meeting friends, um, it's going to be bad. Where do you think this all goes, right? Like if, if there is no intervention, like the one you've created with potential where, where you're like, hey, we recognize you have to have technology or you're going to have it in your life. And so this is a system to manage it. If people don't manage it, if society doesn't have some sort of interference mechanism, what happens five years from now as our society advances continuing to use technology at the scale they are? Yeah, I mean, this, this, I think the social dilemma is a pretty good um, view into that future. Um, and then, and then, you know, a year later it becomes partly reality and you, you see January 6th happening in the U S and, and all sorts of crazy things. And I think, um, it's really hard to tell where it will go, but it, it can be good. Right. And, and you, you can only, just like you can only extract, um, so much, like if, if, if you have any sort of ecosystem, you can only extract so much water out of it before things are going to dry up and, and, and the, the basis of life is going to be taken away. Similarly, you can't expect to just keep extracting from, keep extracting human attention without debasing things like mental health, without debasing things like creative and meaningful lives, uh, meaningful relationships, and ultimately things like democracy and, and our, shared, you know, our shared reality, our shared understanding of the world and our shared capacity to do anything about many of the problems that we're facing, right? And so it's like, we're very aware that, you know, climate change and many, many other problems are on the plate and are waiting to be addressed. Um, it's just that social media 
and, and this sort of attention extracting um, paperclip optimizer is, is on a meta layer where if, it, if it's taking away our, our agency uh, individually and collectively, then we're just so much less able to do anything about anything. Yeah, I'm struck by, so um, the, Matt Ridley is an author who writes about technology. He's a member of the House of Lords. He's been on the podcast a couple of times. And one of my favorite things to hear him talk about is, hey, there's this uh, gloom and doom about technology or that the world is getting worse, but that in reality, you know, just look at something as simple as dentistry, right? We can see that uh, our modern technology makes it so a cavity doesn't cause you to have an abscess and an infection and die. Um, you know, so many less people are dying in childbirth. But on the flip side of, of that rational optimism about technology, there is, there's got to be some point where um, you go too far. And it's a weird one because it's easy for us to talk sociologically. Well, those other people ought to change their behaviors so that that way they're not caught in this. But I know personally mm. the act of giving up your cell phone or using um, electronics after, let's say, 5 p.m. is mm. an incredibly difficult thing to do. And so there's a tension between the value of, of technology making it positive, the negative of, of being distracted, and how, how does it, how does any of this get, I don't know, evened out? Yeah. Uh, well, what is it that you want to do instead? Right? If you, don't, if you want to stop using technology after 5 p.m., what would you like to do? <laughs> so I run a network, the Articulate Ventures Network, and um, we just did this experiment. And mm -hmm. uh, for me, um, I 100% wanted to be able to give myself a reason to be able to focus 100% of my attention on my daughter around the time when we were eating all the way up until, you know, through bath time and go to bed. And that was no problem, right? That, that it was easy. It was an easy trade-off. You know, she is filled of wonder and I can always um, be interested in that. But the problem was once she went to bed and I was like, mm. ah, you know, I'm, I'm mm. relaxed, it's easy. That was when the equivalent of going to the, the freezer and getting the ice cream cream out and just gorging myself on it again where you're like oh i'll just quickly look at this thing i'll just quickly check my email or i'll just quickly do this uh twitter and before you know it you're just flicking your thumb ever so gently and you're lost for an hour and a half i get it uh so what in an ideal world you know is, is there anything that you would enjoy doing after you bring your daughter to bed um, that you f would feel better about. Sure. I mean, like, uh, I, I, we run a book club, so I've got lots and lots of pages to read. And uh, if, you, if you get those pages done early in the month, you don't have the, pre the pressure of getting it done by the end. <laughs> but it's oftentimes, I mean, that's, it's oftentimes the resistance is not that different from wanting to, not wanting to go for a run in the morning, right? You, you don't really mm -hmm. want to do it. And so it's easier just mm -hmm. to, to put it off and then eventually you put it off for so long you can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, so, so th that's where I like reference the work of uh, James Clear, Atomic Habits, right? I, I, have you read that? I have, yeah, but go on, this is good. Yeah, so I, I think I, I like to talk about, you know, you, you can go deeper into behavior psychology, but I think it's, it's just incredibly useful the way he phrased everything um, and made it just easy to talk about. So um, basically the idea of Atomic Habits is you have small changes, right, that make over time uh, create huge results. And so, and also the idea of, of starting very, very small. So if you want to go for a run, uh, he preaches even something like, you know, just put on your running shoes 
and call it, you know, check it off uh, without even going for a run. Or, or if you want to start going to the gym, just, you know, go to the gym, uh, work out for like five minutes and then go back home just to make it as easy as possible so that you can get started. So then, and, and here's these four laws of behavior change, right? There's, it's make it obvious, um, make it easy, make it attractive and make it satisfying. And so basically what, if, if we think about the voice of resistance and this sort of, it's so easy to not do it, right? There's a little bit of resistance. Nah, I'm, I'm not, I can go for a run tomorrow, right? I can, I can, I can scroll Twitter now. I can, I can read tomorrow, right? Or I can read another time. Um, and so one way of, of addressing that resistance is to just be like, okay, can I read one sentence, you know? Before I go on Twitter, can I, can I take the book that I want to read and can I read one sentence? And just doing that and then, you know, checking in, okay, do I actually, maybe, maybe, you know, I can just, I can read another page, right? And then uh, before you know it, you've read the whole chapter. Yeah, I mean, I think like the starting is always the hardest part, right? And it seems like such a cliche, but, uh, but just being like, I am going to take the tiniest action to begin the motion in this direction you always have to do it if you're if you're ever going to accomplish it. But I, I agree with you when the uh, the starting as small as possible so that that way it doesn't feel so overwhelming. Yeah, and and one way we incorporate that into potential and that can can give you an idea of how we think about this stuff is we have what we call fallback intentions. So you can set an intention, let's say um, lifting weights, and you can set the fallback intention of uh, doing 10 push-ups, right? And so instead of skipping it, so in, in potentially you can, you can either open something to like jump into your morning meditation, for example, you can complete it and you can skip it. But if you have a fallback intention, you can't skip it, you can only replace it. And so I'm like, I'm not gonna lift weights today. And then potentially ask me, hey, do you wanna do 10 push-ups? And I'm like, sure, that feels easy, right? It, it, and, and, and you're anchored on the big thing. So you could say, uh, you know, go run for 45 minutes, which might be the real thing that you want to do. But then if you have the fallback of um, go for a quick jog for, of 10 minutes, it's like, yeah, sure, okay, I can do that. Um, and I, I really, it's, it's actually, it's, it's one of my favorite features. And I, I think the reason it works for me is because I feel like I'm kidding myself. If, if I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just going to put on my shoes and then I'm going to go for a run, I'm like, how, you know, who am I? How old am I? Well, come on, I can do better than this. And so aiming at the real thing, but then having a fallback to the thing that's easy um, and have that just systematically happen, sort of just by me playing with the, own, with the menu that I designed um, really makes a difference. I, I think that's um, very insightful. How, how have you thought when you were building potential about, adding in new features or making the right choices to make it better for many, many people to use it, not just you. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's an evolutionary approach, right? So we, we, and actually in the beginning, we didn't quite know what, you know, what's the value proposition here. It's, it's, it was really hard to know. It was something about intentionality and behavior change. Um, and so we, we basically spent a year prototyping and, and interviewing people and testing it out. Um, and, and also just looking at what works for ourselves, right? Um, and so there were some things where we were like, oh, this is, this is totally gonna change everything. And then we implemented it and I'm like, ah, I'm not really using it. 
and others are like not really using it. So probably it's it's not the 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 game changer. Um, and at this point, we we basically built an MVP, which so uh, it's tech speak for minimum viable product. Um, and we just threw in all the features that, that we thought are central to it. So um, you have the ability to schedule your day, you have integrations, um, you have an explore section where you can find new intentions, and you have the ability to share things with friends. Um, and you have an insight section where you can sort of take a look at your behavior and have something like a habit tracker, right? And that's what we launched. And from there on, we're now refining it as we go along and, and responding to, to, to feedback that we're getting. Um, so it's like, it's, it's really, it's, it's very intuitive, I think, is, is the short answer. If you were to take potential off of your phone right now, what habits do you think would, uh, would fall away? Or what, what ones are you kind mm. of using the app for to help you that, that may not remain if you just didn't have this as a help? Yeah, so my my current morning routine, and and the thing is, I'm disclaimer. I'm posting uh, my completions in the morning on Instagram after I come. Like I do my morning routine with potential, and then I take a screenshot and I post it on on Instagram, uh, both to hold myself accountable to create content for for potential and to um, also sort of prototype social features, right? Because it's like, well, if you know, sharing. The list of completions with my friends that's one way of doing it um but that morning routine is um getting up at 6 a.m um working out for like 10 15 minutes to get warm and then doing a 25 minute stretching session um then doing breath work for like five minutes and then doing my 10 minute uh, daily meditation with waking up uh, sam harris and so Every step of that is basically accompanied by my phone, right? My alarm goes off. Uh, I start a timer for my workout. I start the guidance for the, for the stretching, and then I start the guidance for the breath work, and then I start the guidance for the meditation. And that's one hour. And it's like the difference between doing that and not doing that is, is massive for, for me personally. And the way potential fits into that is I unlock my phone, uh, my alarm goes off, I unlock my phone, I go into potential and waking up is already checked off um, because it's, it's integrating with Apple Health. Um, and then I tap and it starts a timer and it, it has exactly the time that I wanted to have. Um, and then I complete that and then I jump into the stretching and exactly to the stretching routine or the stretching program that I want to do in that app and so on and so on, right? And, it, and then I come back to potential and it, wherever it's possible, it's automatically completed already. Um, and so that only takes out, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 taps or searches uh, of like, you know, okay, let me think, keeping in mind, okay, uh, I'm going to work out first. So let me find my timer. Let me set a time and start it, right? Instead of just tapping it and it's started. Um, let me find the right app for the stretching. Let me find the right course. Let me find the right lesson instead of just jumping into it and so on. And if you take that together, um, it's basically, it just, it just reduces willpower depletion and that turns out to make a really big difference. Yeah. And opportunities for distraction. I mean, one of the things I realized is, um, in taking notes, right? 
I almost always now have a piece of paper and a pen, even if it's not my notebook. And that's because I have come to the realization that even if I'm talking to somebody that is fascinating, right, and and I'm mm. in this intense conversation and they tell me something, a book recommendation or, you know, some something I want to remember to do, if I pull out my phone to write that down, mm. I still have every single, like, detour possible on that, that that I can make. And all of a sudden, I'm taken out of that conversation and put into something else. So being able to limit the the amount of times that you have to move from one app to another to to you know jotting something down or starting something really does limit the number of off ramps that you have off of your focus. Yeah, and and just thinking about that as you just described it, right? It's like um, we're starting with the sort of aspirational um, intentions. So like I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do that, and that's um, it's 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 not defensive, right? There's there's a lot of digital well-being tools out there that are sort of defensive, that like block certain things, that make it harder to unlock something. Um, and we're intentionally not doing that because we think there's an opportunity to just make the good stuff easier. But then once you made the good stuff easier, of course, there's still all the bad stuff, right? And so can we, uh, for all of these pathways to distraction, can we put an intervention there that gives you a moment to reconsider, right? Where it's like, okay, do I really want to go to Twitter or do I actually want to take a break? And if I want to take a break, maybe going for a walk or listening to some music is a better idea. Um, and we think that's bringing these together is gonna create a system that you can refine over time where you can then at the end of the week and see, okay, actually, uh, this half an hour that I spent in the evening on Twitter didn't quite work for me. And looking back on it, I don't feel great about it. So what can I do the next time when I'm on that day, in that time of the day? What what do I want to suggest to myself? Man, it really feels like uh, you have, I mean, it's funny, I was going to say the word potential, pun intended, <laughs> uh, with this app, because I think that's what people thought that their reminders would do on their phone or the little things like, you know, your calendar, like, oh, well, I'll just put it all into this thing. And, um, and, you know, my day will get organized, and I'll be happy with it. But I think there's very, very few people in this world that are happy with the way technology hijacks their day. And I think many, if not most people get done with a day and uh, they feel very dissatisfied. You know, they don't feel like they built anything. You know, if, if all of your work is mental kind of white collar work, you know, you could have made seven PowerPoints that are ne never going to be viewed by anybody, but took you the whole day. And, uh, and you know, you, you commuted or you, you know, messed around on social media, you get all the way done. And there's just something hopeless about that. In particular, yeah. if you're addicted to it in the same way that you you are to drugs. And like, I remember the very first time I ever did a digital sunset, I remember I was eating like a, a beautiful prime rib and I, and it tasted like sand to me because I was like, this is so boring. And the reason it was boring is because normally if I was eating by myself, I'd just have my phone out and I'd be checking things out. And you realize like something has gone horribly wrong with my dopamine system that yeah. uh, being without this makes everything seem gray and cold. I mean, it, it genuinely is an addiction that's similar to caffeine or, or nicotine. Yeah, totally. And um, it's also, you can see how it's a pretty intricate system, right? The way we interact with technology is, is not 
sure, there's, there's, there's the swiping, but if we think about doing the good stuff, why not doing the bad stuff? It's like that. There's a lot of moving parts. And so I think um, if you look at potential, you find that it's, it's, you know, it takes work to set it up. It's not like you just snap a button and you're ready to scroll. Um, it, it really takes, it takes a bit of thought. It takes a bit of um, iteration. And we really find that the people that are most aware of how their digital environment shapes their behavior and shapes them, um, they're like, sure, it's worth setting it up because it's going to pay back, right? It's, it's, it's going to be worthwhile. And so, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's really a bet that we're making that over time, um, more and more people are going to come to the conclusion that actually it's really bad. It's like th this, this t stuff is, is fucking up my, my dopamine system is making me uh, less present and less creative and I need to do something about it. Um, and that then, and right now insights, there's no other, where, where do you, what do you do? Go to a counselor, you know, like there, there, mm. there, it seems to me that there is no digital addiction, um, people out there. If there is, it's just for the most extreme cases. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's like digital well-being cultures, I think are cropping up and, and there's, you know, there's a whole field of digital mindfulness and there's some tools for that, but it's not, um, we think it's it's not just done with replacing uh, with with blocking off the bad stuff, right? Because then you're just sitting there, and you're like, I'm feeling withdrawal symptoms. I'm not feeling well. I need to distract myself, right? And and you're gonna figure out, okay, how do I hack the system that I've built to get that dopamine shot? Um, and I think that's actually a really good thing for people to do to just do 30 day digital detox, right? Get rid of all the all the things that you don't that are not absolutely essential to living your life, get rid of it and just for 30 days and notice your cravings, right? And notice how you're actually impulsive and you're like, ah, this is uncomfortable. And then you realize, oh, this is actually, it's deeply ingrained into my behavior. Um, yeah, and those ones that are the most deeply ingrained are the ones that are the hardest to see. I, I, uh, I gave up mm. caffeine in the month of December and I am now convinced. So um, I did, I went basically 40 days and then I did, um, you know, another 30 days. And I am convinced now that caffeine has a much, much uh, larger impact on human society than we have any idea about. I think so much of our uh, heart disease and anxiety and depression comes from the fact that people wake up and they drink two, three, four cups of coffee and they think, oh, it doesn't impact me. It doesn't impact my sleep. But they've been doing it for so long that they have no concept just how much it has impacted every single aspect of their lives until you get away from it for 30 or 40 days. Yeah, I actually, similar to you in December, I was like, I'm drinking way too much coffee. And actually, for, for me, that's like <laughs> one cup a day is, is too much, basically. Um, but I've been, I think over last year, I've been drinking, I go, I went from drinking coffee maybe once a week to drinking coffee once a day and realizing if I don't drink it, I'm going to be less able to do my work. And I was like, oh, this is not good. So um, I haven't, I think, yeah, since, since mid-December roughly, I haven't had any, co any coffee and um, it's pretty remarkable how yeah. you're less you're less anxious you're more calm you're like oh actually maybe i should take a break you know maybe maybe my body wants me to take a break and recharge 
I've had people notice that didn't know that I was going off of caffeine and talk about, hey, your interviews, they seem a lot calmer, right? You seem mm. like you interrupt people less. And um, I, it's, for a while, it took me um, to connect those two things. I was just like, ah, it seems like people are, are happier with the interviews. But you start to realize there's so much about my day. In fact, like um, the fact that I wake up tired, the, the answer is coffee when you don't realize like, Actually, the reason you wake up tired is because of the coffee and the withdrawal symbols you're going signals you're going through. I remember the first couple of times um, after the withdrawal symptoms went away, where you're like, "I've never felt this rested after waking up. I've never mm -hmm. felt this at peace mm -hmm. when waking up." In fact, things like meditation had to be overcome because either I was delaying my uh, caffeine, um, mm -hmm. so I would like, "Okay, I'm not going to have caffeine until after I've meditated," or I'd have meditated with caffeine and I'm just sitting there rattling through it. And it was so complete that you just really don't understand how much of an impact it's having. Yeah. And how subtle it can be, right? There's like different levels of sensitivity. Um, and I find myself being hypersensitive basically to most sensory inputs, uh, including coffee, including noise, including my visual digital environment, right? Which just, just so happens to be both a blessing and, and, and a gift uh, and, and a curse. Um, but I, I feel like there's something about when you're sensitive, you're noticing, oh, actually, no, no, this, this is bad. And when you're not so sensitive, you're like, yeah, this is not so bad. But then there's, there's a subtle quality that, you just, that just passes by. And then only when you, when you stop doing it, you're like, oh, right, I feel different. So when I look into your bio and I was reading about you, I see the word humane come up a lot. Humane technology, you know, humane computing. Um, what, what does this concept mean to you? Because it, it seems like it's a nebulous idea, but it seems like you have a strong handle on what it means to you. Yeah. So it's, I think it originally, it was borrowed from Center for Humane Tech, right, in the work of Tristan Harris. Um, and that's certainly where a lot of inspiration for my work came from. Um, and I like the very simple definition of humane is that which helps us be as we wish we were. Right? So as humans, we are a certain way. And humane is that which helps us become as we would like to be. Um, and so in my personal philosophy, that's very tied up with you know, human potential. Um, and it's very tied up with, okay, what, what are we capable of and, and what is the most meaningful lives that we, that we could possibly live and what does that ask of us? Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is just friendly. You know, is it, is it a friendly technology? Is it friendly in, in, in the sense, in, in the, is it acting in the spirit of a really good friend? Um, and I think if you just apply that, it's like a tool can, a tool can be humane, right? Because it's just like, it's just getting the job done. Um, it's not getting in the way. Um, but I think there's something about attention mediating products that are different because there's some, like if you, if you like, it, it's not like Facebook feeds get a job done, right? It's not like our digital environments, our, our desktop and, and everything, are consciously designed with, okay, I'm going to help this person navigate their lives. And so if we have environments that are extractive, then th that's not really friendly. It's, it just isn't. And so 
if we're thinking about then the alternative of, of humane technology, it's like, can we make friendly environments that know you well, but that, that you don't need to be afraid of, that they will exploit you, but instead that, that just is aligned with what you actually want. So you have launched Potential, and it's been out in the regular marketplace, you said, for seven weeks. So j just in time for people to, to have the New Year's. How did you guys launch this? How are you getting the word out to people, and how's the reception? Yeah, so we launched it on Product Hunt. Um, uh, so basically, we launched a beta, right? So it's, it's, still in, 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 it's in public beta, um, and we launched it on Product Hunt, and... Uh, we we missed the optimal the launch did not go so well right it's like we we didn't get into the top 10 on product hunt so we didn't get any organic exposure and so on so we were playing catch up um but we still had like um a good number of people sign up um and since it's, it's a paid product not everyone converted to a free so, so we have a trial a 14 day trial and um there's actually a good number of people of those that signed up and that got the trial that then became paying customers two weeks later. And um, some of them are really, really excited about it, right? And, and tell us, hey, this is, this is really great. Um, and we have a small Discord community um, where we you know, talk about different intentions, different tools, and how to integrate them with potential. And that's been really great. And we're now slowly starting to to spread the word a bit more. And um, we're probably going to launch, not the beta, but you know, do a proper launch uh, a few months from now after going from you know, a promising MVP to something that's, that's really worthwhile to, to launch with, with, the big, with the big gong. Um, but we, we definitely, in, in, the, in the few weeks since launching, we definitely made already big steps. Um, and you were mentioning before the show, iOS 15 and, and something along those lines? Yeah, iOS 15 Humane. Uh, we, that's a concept we published last year in June um, and was in, in the week after Apple introduced the new iOS. And we said, okay, there, as potential, we think there's, there's some opportunities to make iOS, to make our operating systems um, more humane and less distracting and to give people more control over how they're being manipulated, right? And so we made a concept uh, for, with, with different ideas. For example, uh, what if your phone asks you, hey, was, was this session on Twitter? Was this time well spent? Was this intentional? And then you get to rate it. And then at the end of the week, you can see how much time and on what apps, what percentage oh, was well wow. spent. Yeah. And then and then imagine, every, like, imagine everyone does that, and then you aggregate these numbers and you put them on the App Store. And you're like, hey, you're about to download Facebook, which people spend an average of 12 hours a week on, <laughs> and 85% of that time is not where it's spent. Are you sure you want to continue downloading it? One idea. Uh, another idea is, can you somehow tax that? Right? Because Apple and Google are the ecosystem providers, so can they reward apps that make time well spent? Um, and can they punish apps that don't? Um, and then another idea that, that we're now working on that we're going to publish um, this spring is attention settings. So the idea that you could say for every product that, that uses advertising, right? that's a pretty simple uh, de uh, determinant, 
for every product that uses advertising, there need to be options that you can turn off the hyper-engaging features. So that, for example, you can say, okay, I want to use Twitter, but I don't want to have an infinite feed. Show me, you know, 20 posts and then make me click a button to go to the next 20 posts. Um, or just hide the explore section in, Insta in Instagram. Or don't enable autoplay on YouTube and so on. And so basically just giving people the choice. Do I want to use a version of this product that has highly manipulative design techniques or not? Um, I'm in total think, agreement on yeah. that. You know, YouTube, for example, uh, you know, I, I, I have YouTube premium because I hate the ads and I figure, hey, if I can pay $10 a month to get rid of all these ads, I'm totally fine with doing this. But they won't allow you to turn off features like the shorts feature where it's like it's essentially yeah. the TikTok where you can just scroll. And I, um, I know it's on me to not touch it, right? But I do wish that there was a way for me just to turn that feature off. So I just didn't see it. So that way I'm not tempted by it in the same way that I don't bring ice cream into my house because if it's not there, I'm not going to eat it. If it's there, maybe I can avoid it, but also maybe I can't avoid it and I get myself into trouble that way. And so I'm totally with you. The ability to turn off features um, would be a very, very nice thing. Yeah, and, and similar to ice cream, right? Do you want one spoon, uh, do, do you want one scoop? Or do you want uh, a bowl of ice cream that just fills, keeps filling itself up, right? So that you just keep eating and eating and eating. Um, <laughs> and that's the same thing with infinite feed and, and pages, right? If, if you just keep scrolling, that's, that works. Um, another thing is if you, if you could just turn apps into grayscale mode so that you don't see the colors on Twitter, for example. Uh, you know, I, I want to see colors on my Maps app because that helps me navigate the world and actually it's useful there. But I, I don't care about seeing colors on Twitter and actually not seeing them would probably be good for me. Um, so these are some, some examples of what we think attention settings could do. And we think that's something that, you know, both as ecosystem providers, uh, as the app stores, that's something that you can demand of product, let's say, that use advertising or that are at a certain size. Um, and if, and we think it might even be possible that it can be demanded by legislators. Um, so that if, if Apple and Google are not proactively going, are going to do it, that um, it's possible to bring out a concept and bring it into, into Congress or something and be like, hey, these are the simple rules uh, and these are the simple ways in, we could, in, we, in which we could give consumers back uh, control over how they're being manipulated. And we think it could make a huge difference in public health, uh, in, in sort of the mental health. No, at, no, at no. I don't like this. I don't like this at all. I mean, I really like what you're doing, right? You're giving an option and people can find a market-based reason. But if we let the government control any aspect of social media and what you're allowed to do and what features, I mean, the only reason the US tech sector is as big as it is is because the government hasn't regulated bytes in the same way that they regulate, you know, molecules know. and property and all these other things. So I, I actually, this is all the more reason for me to cheer for your um, app, for the potential app, because I think. Um, this is the market-based solution 
that allows you to keep the government out of these things, which eventually, if, if, in my opinion, if you let them in, they will be the, the, the DMV, right? All of a sudden, yeah. Twitter will be a place that you go to stand in line and somebody stamps something. But I, I appreciate the sentiment, right? Which is, if we want to stop a problem that when you um, aggregate millions and millions of people together is a socio-cultural problem that I think is on par with allowing nuclear weapons out, out into the public, right? It's, it, we've seen that the, this is the way propaganda can spread. We understand that this is the way fear and anger and distrust and, and all, all of these negative things. But the only solution in my mind that's, that's uh, stable and sustainable is something like what you're doing. So I'm really, really glad that somebody like you is out there doing this. Yeah, that, that's that's a really interesting take, and you know, I I think the ideal outcome would be for Apple and Google to just really open the ecosystem so that players like ourselves can can do that, um, because there's there's a lot of things that we just cannot do that we could do really really well if Apple would let us, right? Um, and where we're sort of working within the bounds of what's possible within the ecosystems, um, the the preference after that would be for Apple to do it. Because Apple is in a position where, you know, you and me and basically any, anyone who uses Apple products, the lifetime value for Apple of that customer is so much higher if we get to live intentional, productive and fulfilling and healthy lives than if we're distracted and, and sort of, you know, just getting by. Uh, because if we're, if we're spending eight hours a day watching dumb shit, we're not going to buy, you know, the new MacBook Pro every three years. Um, and so we think that that's, that's actually a pretty good business case for Apple to be like, okay, A, people want to be more in control of, of, of their behavior and of, of, their, of how they're being manipulated. So let's give them the tools that, that makes that happen. Um, and B, it's going to be good for our business because these people over time are going to get shit done and change the world, right? And they're going to buy more Apple products because those are the products that help them do that. And then sort of the third way is if they're not going to do that at a meaningful uh, sort of depth, then what if we think about something like food labels, right? Can we just label like, hey, this has highly addictive stuff in there <laughs> and, sh and, and demand that that label is shown on the app store, right? Oh Can man, you just walked into, you, you like, so you wouldn't know this, but I actually worked in the agriculture and food space and labeling is, uh, is something that I think is, uh, is also another fool's errand because the, he who sets the definition controls the argument. And as soon as you give a group the power to make labels, the the labeling becomes an entire political animal that is uncontrollable and and will get wildly out of control but i take your point right like giving people information Which, about how these yeah. systems work is a valuable thing to know some some level of of uh, honest and clear knowledge of what happens when you continue to use this yeah now, the thing is, of course, you can do labeling kind of well and you can do labeling in, 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 in a way where, you know, in, incentives are, are fucked up and, and uh, the power gets hijacked. But I think it's like the competency is there. It would be possible to put together, a, a, you know, a group of, of organizations and people that are not caught up with the vested interests of the attention economy 
to define those things. Okay, Makeup you wanted work. to go down this path. I'm, so you're talking to a guy that worked for Monsanto, <laughs> right? So I know, and, and, we're, and you're a European. So this is like, we're in different cultural spheres. But I, I genuinely think that, that um, e even the most trusted bodies, like when they went to do the GMO one, right? There's only two kinds of people that show up for that labeling conversation. The people that love GMOs and the people that hate GMOs. Because all of the people in the giant middle section of, the, of this bell distribution on how do you feel about things like bioengineering, they don't care. And so by inherently, the only people that are going to show up are the ones that are intransigent about their position. And, and so this becomes a power struggle, and that power struggle will never end. It, it will go until one side is completely defeated. And, uh, and I think that it, th this would be true, just as true in in um, smoking or alcohol or um, anything that somebody would say, people have a right to know what is in here. When, once those rights turn into laws, those laws become extraordinarily well, political in nature. I, I get that. And I, and I think uh, I'm glad you bring all of that up because I'm, I'm going to send you a copy or, or I'm going to send you a draft of, of, the, of the campaign um, to, to see if you have ideas. But... Um, Huh. Yeah, it's 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 tricky. It definitely is tricky. Although I think it like is an argument that could be made that in in the digital, it's less about laws. It's more about you know being able to opt out. And so just being able to opt out of uh, a list of persuasive design techniques or features um, would be great. And and we're we're actually alongside with with that launch. We're also going to bring that feature into potential where you can say, for example, okay, and you know, we think we can do it and people will, it's in people's best, it's, it's in people's best interest to have the option. And of course we want to then make features that people actually want to turn on, right? So we want to make suggestions that are actually so good that, that you want to turn them on. Um, and we want our social features to not give you the anxiety, but to give you encouragement, right? So still we give you the option to turn off all social features. So you have one button and you see no other person in the, in the app period um, and we can do that because our incentives are aligned with your well-being right our value proposition is, is genuine um, and just giving the option to opt out um, and hopefully having a competent I mean, set of people be able to to define those those criteria to me like i've been in the apple ecosystem because i want a high quality um product. I use a lot of the features that I think most people that have Macs don't even know exist. But on the other hand, by being in that ecosystem uh, and their, their total control over what you can turn on and off and how you can turn it on and off, if there was another uh, operating system that allowed me to escape from that, I would instantly. And so I think you're right. Uh, encouraging tech companies to see that there is a coming wave that will crest um, when people have more options to be able to control their lives so that that way their tech isn't controlling them, I'm, I'm in total agreement. And the more that you can add this into your apps, the more they will eventually try and steal them when they're successful. That's, that's the goal. <clears throat> well, Wealth, this has been a fantastic conversation. I had no idea why Jim wanted me to, inter uh, to interview you, but uh, he, again, is batting a 1,000 on that, and I see 100% why he invested in you. So if people wanted to uh, download Potential, is there, is there anything they should know? 
Yeah, so you can you can go to potential.app and you, you find the App Store and the Play Store links there. Uh, you can use the code Vance to get in um, after signing up. And we're really, really, really listening to feedback. So if there's anything that you run into where you're like, hey, this is not going smooth, or actually it's not solving my, my problem, we're really attentive to that. We, we try to respond to all the feedback and to really develop this through our time together. Because that's another thing, right? The, 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 the space where we could take it is so huge. And there's so many ways that, that we could go, uh, as opposed to the A-B testing to the bottom of the brainstem, right? And so it's, it's really a, a collaborative effort figuring out, okay, how, do we, how can we make something here that provides as much value as your phone possibly could? Fantastic, man. Well, Wolf, thank you so much for coming on, man. Thanks, Hans. Thank <laughs> you.